Welcome to Empire Building, the podcast where we talk about building big businesses and even bigger lives. I'm your co-host, Via Williams. And I'm Seychelle Van Poole. Today, we are continuing our leadership series, and um, it's on a topic that a lot of people maybe don't find incredibly sexy, but I actually, Via and I would argue that we think these actually can be a pretty sexy topic, and that is numbers. Today, we're going to talk about the four numbers every CEO should know in their business. And, you know, you often hear of CEOs staying or leaving an organization after times of massive growth or after times of massive decline. And this revolves largely around the numbers and performance of a business. And often CEOs are measured by those numbers as to whether or not they keep their role. So whether you are an entrepreneur growing your business, um, you will determine if you are the right person or as you grow, if you should hire someone to do this role for you. So we're going to dive into the key numbers that will help you measure success and growth in your business today. Yeah, I, I love that, Seychelle. And I, and I also just want to, I guess, say this about it. You always want to hire someone better than you at finances if you're not, you know, basically a CFO, you know, type. Mm-hmm. And also, it's incumbent upon you as a business owner to learn them yourselves. Um, earlier this year, uh, you know, I joked around about it, but I signed up for an online course on basic financial accounting, and it was the best thing I've ever done. I should have done it a decade ago. And, you know, I'm I'm just going to out myself <laughs> just to make some of you feel better. Some of you are going to go, yeah, really? But I used to get numbers like, you know, I don't know. I, I used to get numbers like gross profit and net profit mixed up, which is a little embarrassing, you know, or like, you know, oh, net income is the same as profit margin. Okay. Like I just didn't understand fully what each of those were. Right. And once I truly understood how to read a balance sheet, truly understood, you know, how to roughly do cash flow analysis. I'm still not good at that. But roughly understood, you know, what everything meant, what accrual accounting meant versus, you know, actual. I have to tell you, it was like everything I had heard for the last two decades of my life made sense. Mm. So I highly, highly encourage you, if you're not comfortable with this topic like I wasn't, And by the way, I was looking at, I review financials every month. So it's not like I wasn't exposed to it. You know, I I knew enough to look for red flags. But after taking that course, my uh, lead controller was like, wow, you've really, this is your, these are different reviews now. Your financial reviews are a lot different. She noticed it. I noticed it. We all noticed it, right? And so, yes, Seychelles, 100% right. Like hire someone for sure to do this. And also, you have to step up and do it, too. It's not enough to be a master of your craft. You also have to be a master of business to a certain degree. Well, and I think, you know, even if you... No, I love it. And if, you know, if you're hiring somebody to do it, you also have to be able to, at the very minimum, have a sniff test to understand if your business is on track or not. And if, if the direction, if you're hiring a CEO, and let's say you're leading that person... You have to know if they're the right person for the job. And if you don't have enough of an acumen to understand that, um, it's going to make it a lot harder in your lessons. And your lessons are probably going to come um, a lot swifter and a lot more painful because you weren't able to catch them earlier in the process. So well, yeah. wherever you are, I, I think mean, it's helpful. 
you can predict your future, good or bad, by by looking at numbers and understanding numbers, understanding how to you know analyze them, understanding what KPIs you're low or or exceeding expectation on. Right. And if you don't do that, your business can you know fail. I mean, yeah. like, to be blunt, like you you've yeah. got to have some level of being able to 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 predict where things are going, good or bad. You have you right. have to as a business owner, and as your business gets bigger, that gets more and more important because people, you know, are relying on you for their salary, for their livelihoods, mm-hmm. for everything, right? And so it's incumbent upon all of us to just get better at this. I was certainly feeling the pressure to get better at this. And, you know, I, I was very intimidated. It felt like everybody understood more than me, you know, on it. And so um, some of you listening are like, Via, really? Like, <laughs> you're just naturally probably really good at this. Or, you, you know, you took financial accounting in college. And I just didn't. You know, I think even if you took me. it in business school, though, taking it in theoretics as a class versus applying it in your business are two very mm. different things. And I, I feel That's like true. I've grown up in the like school of hard knocks with having to learn all of this by failing forward. Um, and, I, you know, am I a CFO quality, you know, capability with my numbers yet? Probably not. Um, am I armed and dangerous? Probably. <laughs> Yeah, but, you yeah, know, I, I yeah. think all of us still can be raising the bar. And I think, especially as women leaders, this is an area where you have got to be really, really good at knowing your numbers and knowing what numbers are important for your business to make sure that you are growing a healthy, sustainable business so that you can focus on your big life. Otherwise, these numbers mm-hmm. can make or break you and cause you to lose sleep. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned um, KPIs or key performance indicators, Via. Let's walk through really quick of like why even for a CEO, these numbers would be important for KPIs. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, I think the first thing is it if you're leading a CEO or you are the CEO, you are accountable to the health of the business. And so understanding these numbers and what they do for you increases your accountability in that CEO role to know how the business is doing. And if you're part of a large organization like VIA is, this lets the board of directors or the leadership team hold that CEO accountable um, to the numbers of the business. The second one would be um, it improves your performance. It improves your business performance. If you know, um, you know, within a quick glance, you can look at and understand some of these numbers, you're going to be able to increase your business. You're going to increase your revenue. You're going to decrease expenses quicker than um, if you don't have a really healthy measure of that. The other couple of reasons would be it allows you to invest in infrastructure. Like I know, You guys have just done a massive capital raise and you're able to reinvest in infrastructure because you guys knew your numbers really well and were able to do that. And then it allows you to track your progress over time to see, are we playing red light, green light with our numbers? What does our growth look like? And how can we double down on the things that are working or not? Yeah, and in the overly simplified way of saying all of that in one sentence is, is by tracking the right numbers, it enables you to make the right decisions. Beautiful. I'm going to give like a high five amen on that. So let's roll into (laughs) the numbers that matter. So VA, let's kick us off with the first set of numbers that are really important for well, you. So let, let, to let's do. framework this. So okay. we we spent some time on this. So we're going through four sets of numbers that we think every CEO should track. And what I want to encourage you all is to just start where you start, right? You know, mm-hmm. I I do think that that within every number set we're going to talk about, there's 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 a bat, a bunch, right? We've kind of packaged mm-hmm. up some numbers, and they all kind of um, have to do with each other. So keep that in mind. So we're going to go through four 
number sets. This would be a good one to take notes on, I think, today because yeah. it's going to be a little bit technical. Yeah. So the first one, Seychelle, is the balance sheet. Know your balance sheet. If possible, I think it's great to review at least a version of your balance sheet or the elements within it weekly, certainly monthly, mm-hmm. certainly monthly. But but within that, Seychelle, we, we, you and I both believe that there's kind of four primary numbers yes. in there. And side note, I asked our CFO, so we're a um, we're a, a large company. One one of the companies I'm involved with is is a just had a billion dollar valuation to give you a sense of size. So I asked our CFO for that. What are what does he think the most important three or four numbers are? And we'll we'll hit that at the end. I think Seychelle and I are hitting this more from a small business perspective, like mm-hmm. what we've always done in our businesses. So, it, kind of within the balance sheet, there's a couple things that are that are really important that you're looking for. Number one is cash flow. Number mm-hmm. two is revenue growth, which you know. I don't know if that's so much balance sheet or if it's just general numbers, say. Number three is expenses. And then number four is profit margin. So you're looking for basically revenue in, liabilities out, right? Mm-hmm. And then what your what your profit is. And then um, your cash flow, you're basically looking at the flow of money in your business. So, right. you know, cash flow is super important to a small business because it shows how much money is moving in versus moving out, right? So mm-hmm. if your cash flow is positive and you show a, you know, net income number that's positive, which is a profit <laughs> which that's is positive, good. right? Yeah. <laughs> you're making money. It means you're earning more money than you're spending, right? And and if if it's negative, then, I mean, your business is failing, right? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you can't have periods in time where that's negative, but you just have to be aware that you're going to have to bolster your cash position, in order to keep your business alive, which is why the very first thing, you know, I wrote on here anyway, is cash flow. I mean, you, mm-hmm. as a business owner, you have to figure out some way to understand how much cash is available to you at a certain time mm-hmm. and how the flow of money looks so that you know if you should be adding or subtracting to that. Mm-hmm. And I think in addition to cash flow on that, we have a one-liner at the bottom of our balance sheet that says our cash position. Um, that allows us to see at a quick glance how many months reserves we have in the bank, basically to support the cash flow, the revenue, the expenses, right? If there's a period of time when you don't match up between more revenue than you have expenses, um, because all businesses can be cyclical, um, it makes us make sure that we have the peace of mind knowing what our, our cash position is to support that. You know, your second one is looking at your revenue and your revenue growth. Um, So this is where you're looking at revenue growth quarter over quarter, period over period, um, to see if you're trending in the right direction. It's also to make sure you understand what your upcoming revenue is in real estate. A lot of us have 30, 60 days we're booking out business. Um, Or if you're working with builders or longer term investments, you want to make sure you're planning out what your revenue looks like for that. So that's one of the first things we're looking at on the balance sheet. Yeah, one of the things we do um, at our weekly leadership meetings here at Place is we look at trailing 12 months. Mm -hmm. So we are constantly looking at the last 12-month period, which is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I highly recommend that if if you you have the capability in your uh, financial statements to to look at that. Mm -hmm. We do that. And then on QuickBooks, we have a two-year rolling history as well. And so we look at it like trailing 12, but then also two years back as well. Yeah, that's great. Your next one is going to be expenses. Um, and this one is uh, especially helpful in times of a changing market. You should be holding your expenses accountable in any market. Um, 
but especially when you're in a tightening of a market or a potential downturn, recession, inflation, use any of the numbers you want in there, um, expenses can make or break you, truly. And yeah, so tracking these are huge. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so this is the one, um, when I asked my CFO, you know, what are the most important numbers to know? This is what he hit. He immediately went to expenses. Yep. And um, and it's interesting because if I asked my CEO, he would have told you cash flow, which tells mm-hmm. you something, by the way, a mm-hmm. CFO's mindset versus a um, versus a, CEO. a, yeah. a founder. Because a founder and a CFO, I mean, they're just they're, or a CEO is worried about keeping your business alive and you know what's available for you to, to keep it going. A CFO is is just you know focused on being smart and efficient about it. But he yeah. he thinks that the most important things to look at are gross profit percentage. Now remember, gross profit is revenue minus cost of goods sold. So there's no expenses taken out. So gross profit's really good because it's sort of like it's sort of like your baseline before expenses. That's why it's mm-hmm. really, really important. Because if there's a cost of goods sold in a way, the way to think about that is it's really what's coming into you. Right now, if I can use real estate as an example, um, we have a really high cost of goods sold. So if you get a commission into your brokerage, right, and let's say you're on a 50-50 split with an agent, you know, you're at 50% coming in your door. So your gross profit number in real estate anyway is super, super important, but in any business it is, right? Mm -hmm. So then um, the next number he thinks you should look at is lead gen percentage. So his contention is that lead gen percentage as an is a percentage of gross revenue is super important to track because he sees a lot of people get out of whack inadvertently with this one. Mm-hmm. The next one is an administrative wages, a percentage uh, again to gross revenue. Mm-hmm. And then also net income is, you know, lastly, which would be your profit margin, right? Net income is yep. another another way to say profit margin. So and he thinks you should always be tracking those as a percentage of total revenue. I love that. And I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it really, it gives you a quick glance too. When you know your numbers, you can get, have a quick glance to know if you're out of whack on something. Um, I, I would say at least in a down market once a quarter, uh, sorry, once a month in a down market, you should be looking at all expenses um, mm-hmm. and holding those accountable. But at a quick glance on a weekly basis, knowing just the top line numbers for your balance sheet would be helpful. Um, and then yeah. how, how often would you guys redline and let's say just a, a a high market or like a a little bit more of easy is not the right word because it's never easy, but you know what I mean? Like if it's not like a, a fires are going out all the time, how often would you guys look at like every single itemized expense? Oh, not very often. Not as often. Um, I mean, uh, the last time we did it was probably four or five months ago and then the market started turning and now we're looking at it more frequently. So probably- yep. Probably not as often as as we'd like one or one or two times a year, <laughs> maybe three yeah. times a year. Maybe. I think we were we were you know? quarterly where we were really auditing expenses. It was more like we would look probably at them better. and go, yeah, 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 yeah. But like auditing them probably once a quarter, and now it's like monthly. <laughs> Everything is on well, the table monthly. In, in yeah. the division I run, what I'll say about that is um, this is what I would say about that. I review thoroughly our financials mm-hmm. every month. Like it's very thorough, like down to the detail. So, yeah. I mean, credit card statements, you know, all of it. So, mm-hmm. so th- I just want to preface it by saying that there's a very, there are four or five pairs of eyes 
on our, our monthly closeouts every right. single month. I just want to be clear about that. But actually going through and redlining, you know, we have an ABCD exercise that we do and just, and you know, making those kind of decisions is just not very often in an up market mm-hmm. for us. So yeah. I didn't want to make it sound like we didn't review them. Absolutely, We just yeah. don't review those with that in mind that often when it's a bad market. Now it's interesting because we have um, what we call a daily company dollar report for a brokerages division that I run. That's not for place, that's for a, another division. And, and when times are good, I don't look at that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at it almost daily now. And yeah. and our um, our market center administrators, they update. They, it's called daily company dollar report. They probably update it every few days. But mm-hmm. I am all over that multiple times a week, if not daily, yeah. multiple times a week. When the market's shifting, when oh, the yeah. market's good, I'm like, oh, I'll look at that to just get a feel <laughs> for projections every once right. in a while. Yeah. yeah, that's. I think that's a great delineation between those two. And then the last one on your um, balance sheet is obviously your profit margin. You want to know at the end of the day what you're taking home. Um, yeah, and so making sure you're looking at, you know, what revenue came in, you're subtracting out the cost of goods sold, and then you're dividing that number by revenue. Um, and that yeah. is going to give you um, your profit margin. And uh, we're very fortunate that in real estate, our net profit margin, because so much of our our revenue goes out in cost of goods sold, at the end of the day, if we take a look at gross profit and net profit, that number tends to be a higher percentage than, let's say, retail mm-hmm. or in the food industry. Um, because a lot of our top line cost of goods sold is in our salespeople that gets paid out first. So your profit margin looks higher on the back end if you look at it between gross profit and net profit. Yeah, and, but, you know, most industries have cost of goods sold uh, to a certain degree. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's great. Yeah, I, I would say I love that. The only thing I would add on profit margin is, you know, put pressure on yourself on that. There's a great book called Profit First, mm-hmm. which I, I think is a great you know, um, concept, which is, you know, start with profit and work backwards, which most of us, you know, even us, we're guilty. We put it at the end. But, you know, if you're like, look, I want to make, you know, 25% profit margin, or I want to make a million dollars a year, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, profit in my business, you should really work backwards from that instead of the other way around, which most of us do, and say, okay, well, what do I have to have in place in order to hit that? And put pressure on that and get get your whole team to buy in on that and understand that, right, and what their role is on that. So that's the only thing I would add uh, to that. We'll, we'll put that um, the link to that book in our show notes as well. I just made a note of it for you guys. So we will make sure that gets (laughs) in there. Yeah. Because I'm famous for saying that and then not adding. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, if show notes make it in there, it's. I, I'm working hard for you guys over here. We're, we're working. It is not me. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so number one, just to kind of recap, number one, I think we're almost better off recapping as we yep. as we go Love today. It. Um, it's it's kind of numbers from the balance sheet. Revenue growth is a little iffy if it's on the balance sheet, but but basically, you know, typical financial accounting numbers, I guess, is another way to say that. So, number one, cash flow. Number two, revenue growth. Number three, expenses. Number four, profit margin. So, what is the second? Um, group of numbers, Seychelles, that we really need to understand as a CEO? I love this one um, because it's just, it's one that I don't think you think of all the time to put in there, but it's return on investments or ROI. And, you know, the return on investments is the amount of profit you earned after making strategic spending decisions. Um, And you can calculate this percentage by using a formula that's pretty simple that says, what's the current value of the investment? minus the cost of investment. 
and then you divide that by the cost of the investment, multiply it by 100. And so basically you're working to get, you know, if I put $10,000 into spending on a marketing campaign or on something, what did I make back out of it or what is the value I got back out of that? That's the simple way to look at that. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, all of us need to know that, especially with our marketing and lead generation yes. expenses, right? You know, why are we doing them if we're not getting an ROI on them? It's interesting. Um, our friend Sarah, our co-host Sarah is not here today, but she, her coach has her do an exercise that I think is a brilliant night. Mm-hmm. I always say I'm going to start it and then I don't do it, but I really want to start this one. Um, and what they do is her coach has her go through her um, P&L. And once a year, she has to take every line item on her CNL on her PL and run an ROI analysis on it. Like her rent, everything. Mm-hmm. Everything she like does, she has to run an yeah. ROI. <laughs> her printer. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if she has to do the detail report or if that's a good question we should ask. I mean, her I think her, t- I think I her think team does brilliant. the detail, but I think she has to go in and do that. I mean, I think so she brilliant. said it goes down to like the granular. And the other thing I would say with ROI is sometimes people are, are impatient with ROI. And so if you happen to be in real mm-hmm. estate and let's say you're starting a geographic farm area and you're working to like dominate a farm area, well, your ROI in your first month it's going to look very different than your ROI in your 18 month. So I think you have to be mindful of what the investment is and then how patient you're willing to be to tweak, change, hold it accountable, and how long you're willing to give that investment before it is actually generating the ROI that you desire. Because some are instant and sometimes some of them are one, two, three years down the road before you really start seeing the ROI that you're desiring. So sometimes patience with that is key too. I mean, that's a good point. And and that's probably something to ask yourself and your advisors, you know, how patient should you be? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, do you have the kind of business that can withstand that kind of a long that's game right. in that particular category? We're mm-hmm. all playing the long game and, you know, we have to really protect our cash. The number right. one thing that we put on here on purpose was cash flow because, I mean, business success is essentially survival yeah. and, you know, um, making a making a profit is survival. So, I mean, you know, yes, I love that. And, you know, ask yourself that question, like, you know, am I willing to invest in this? My brother and I yesterday, just yesterday, um, we're talking because we have to make a decision on a timeline today. We have to make it by mm-hmm. today on investing in an annual marketing thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, both of us are like, it's a great thing. We think it'd be really great for the company. But do we, are we willing to invest in that now for, yeah. you know, potentially a slower ROI? And uh, just, just filming, just doing this podcast just yeah. now, I already got the text, hey, I need your answer. I need your answer. So I'm feeling <laughs> the pressure of that decision. And so, you know, ROI, that's a tricky one. Like, do you mm-hmm. wait, you know, long-term on one thing versus another? Like, I don't know the answer. So, anyway. Well, I think it. I think it's you well, should have both three. going, oh, right? Sorry. You have both going on that. The yeah, third sure. one is a great one, which is um, economics. Are you aware of the economy around you locally? Are you aware of the economy in your industry? Are you aware of the numbers globally or nationally and how they impact you? And so there's two really key areas that you and I both really like to look at this. One, I know you are the first one you're really into, which I love. Um, And I would say you're kind of the queen of the four of us in this one, and that's industry. When you take a look at the economics of our industry, what is it that you look at or what is it that you study via? Yeah, well, I mean, my title is head of industry, so one exactly. Hope. I know. I'm like, this is your jam. <laughs> <One> <laughs> <hope>. <laughs> 
I don't just I don't just track numbers. I also just track industry news and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, it's going to go into our second our second thing, which is macroeconomics. But I am tracking um, uh, interest rates. I am tracking rate of homes sold. That's really important. Um, you know, we are. You know, we might sell only five point three million homes this year. I'm not quite sure where we're going to land, and that is, that is really low. That affects uh, my industry, real estate, more than almost anything. That affects us more than price. But I do track days on market. I track, um, you know, national aggregate, um, you know, median prices and decline and additions. I track. Um, uh, new home starts. That's really important um, mm-hmm. for you know replenishing inventory. So there, there's a couple things that I that I do look at. We have a lot of people smarter than me looking at that. However, for me, um, in all of the teaching and webinars and podcasts like this one that I do, I have to have some kind of a a, a scope and understanding, mm-hmm. right, of what what's happening there. And and that does Seychelles, it does go right into macroeconomics. You know, it does. Yeah. Um, Consumer goods price index, you know, um, uh, affordability indexes, and we talked about interest rates, right? But mm-hmm. unemployment, you know, job growth. I mean, there, there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that you can track, whatever it is. Sometimes it's not the same. Sometimes yeah. you go through a year period where you're tracking one thing and then the market shifts and you're, you're tracking mm-hmm. another. One um, magic formula that I use when I'm looking at these numbers and I'm trying to predict where our market locally is going to go is I look at three key things. I look at the interest rates. I look at our job market or unemployment, how many jobs are being created or lost. And then I look at the affordability of our housing prices. And usually if one or two of those things are out of whack for more than three to six months, you're headed into um, some sort of a tightening in your market. And so like, you know, this is 2022 when we're recording this, um, you know, when we could see interest rates going up and all of a sudden we could see affordability dropping with those interest rates going up, even though our job market is incredibly strong, that spiraled less than 60 days after interest rates changed, that spiraled our market into quadrupling our inventory on the ground. And at the minute those interest rates started going up, we started telling our, you know, our team, hey, keep an eye out. Let's watch this because we're going to start to see our inventory going. And it was like, literally it went from, you know, one number of 5,000 homes to 10,000 homes active to 15 to, you know, et cetera, within a matter of 65 days. So if you watch for me, that like quick math that I like to watch is interest rates, jobs, and affordability on those. Cause that usually gives me a really good kind of like finger in the wind, you know, how how is our market going to go well and like the consumer price index or whatever yeah. that one is that they're using now to track inflation yep. i i wouldn't have tracked that before but yep. now all of a sudden me and a lot of people are super interested in that but sure. Seychelles, I think you should tell everybody, um, and, and again, I know we're in real estate, and I know we have people, you know, listening from all different industries, but you do something that is absolutely brilliant, and that is you track things in real time uh, daily or weekly. I think it's On daily. On a weekly basis. We have, we have one weekly. daily report, but really every Monday at 9 a.m. is the yeah. weekly time that I look at it. And what we started doing was um, – in the real estate industry, we don't have a way to go back and follow statuses of like go back and retroactively search, for example, how many active homes were on the market this time in 2020 or this time last year. Mm-hmm. I can't go back and physically see that. And so yep. we created- Because it rolls a, up into cumulative uh, It data. does. It rolls up. Well, you know, if it's like I put my home on the market and then it goes under contract and then it goes to pending and then it closes or it doesn't sell and it goes off the market- like it's it's rolled through a status. It doesn't stay active forever. Even if you were just to play on like, 
you know, any of the home apps, right? Zillow, whatever. Like you, you can't go back and see that data. And so we just put a Google sheet together in, I can go back, it was like January 20th of 2015. And I just said, I want to know when our market is changing because I went through the last downturn and it didn't feel good to feel reactive in that. It felt very reactive. And I I was new in the business. I was new in the industry. I was new into real estate. I didn't like that feeling. And so mm -hmm. I just started a weekly spreadsheet that my um, listing manager and I tracked on Mondays at nine. And then we handed it to a virtual assistant that now updates it. And we have this really awesome master data where I can look at today and go back and say, okay, our inventory now is indicative of July 2020's inventory numbers. I can go back and see, okay, how high or low are we? And that has put us I'm not even kidding, Dave. That's put us 45 days ahead of any of our competition and knowing a market's changing. Um, and so we're able to call through our database, change our scripts, change our systems, change everything 45 days before anyone has even figured out that the numbers have changed. And so it's really given us a great competitive advantage on that. Yeah, I'm hundred percent. I I I'm in love with it. And and here's here's the way to look at it. So no matter what business you're in, whatever you're tracking, what Seychelles can do is say, hmm, week twenty seven, uh, you know, year over year over year over year over year, mm -hmm. this is what this week looked like. And so she is a hundred percent correct. She can be way ahead of the curve. And here's an example I give. And again, I I do apologize. These are kind of real estate heavy examples today, but I think you can translate them to any industry. Yeah. Here's my example. We have a statistic in real estate called sales price to list price. So mm -hmm. if something sell, if, if you have a $100,000 home and it sells for $110,000, that's 110% sales price to list price Correct. ratio. You can imagine when the market, the market we're coming off of had a really high SP to LP ratio, right? So one of the things that's interesting is, is that, you know, that ratio kind of started going down and I started noticing it, right? But, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at just the macroeconomic of it, when the house is sold, they were selling for, it wasn't that far off. It might have been like right. down a couple points, mm -hmm. probably not enough to be, I don't know if it was statistically significant, but anecdotally, we were all probably 20 to 30 days ahead of the stats coming out because we were like, mm -hmm. look, I can tell right now there's two offers now for every listing instead of eight. And we yeah. we could kind of feel yeah. with the leading indicator how that was going to pan out. But it hadn't hit the stats yet because eh, the stats are still showing it's still selling for over asking price. Actually, at the very mm -hmm. beginning of that, the, the sales price to list price ratio wasn't even changing that much. The only difference well, is, is there's two offers that eight. That shows you, but it, that shows you the data of um, what somebody was willing to pay for something 30 days ago when you yeah. see the close data. And that yeah. for me was a lagging indicator. And what I wanted exactly. to see was not just the lagging, but I really wanted to see the leading indicators. And so if you look at yeah. inventory on a weekly basis, and we could see that February 20th, there were 4,600 homes in Dallas-Fort Worth on the market. And then by Mother's Day, we were at 9,500 homes. And by July 4th, we were at 14,000 homes on the market. That is significant. <laughs> like yeah. that's a, and then you can you look know, back whoop. and go, this is the same as year X and you can go, yes. okay, well, year X, this is what happened. So, I mean, it is really good at predicting the future. Yeah. I think it's really good no matter what industry you're in, what Seychelles doing, because most statistics roll up to a monthly right. cumulative. And so what Seychelles doing is just breaking them down by weeks. I'm, I'm like convincing myself I need to do this. I keep saying that. But it's well, the nice part anyway. is, you know, if you have it, Likely, if you're a CEO, you have a great admin. If you can help them set up the sheet, we just follow the same NASDAQ calendar. So we just downloaded the NASDAQ weekly calendar, you know, as far as how they do their weekly 
week definitions and just did the same and build it out. And then we just have a Google sheet. It's really simple. And then just every day at 9 a.m., they have a calendar reminder with a, sa a saved search. Right. So the search never changes to update it. I wish there was a more sexy way to do that, but there's not. And mm, our MLS, okay. at least in North Texas. But then it's delegated. It I doesn't need to be on my plate. My plate is to review it and give um, kind of the, the, the state of the market, if you will, to our agents and to our clients. But I mean, it was amazing just to give an example of this on like on the ground, how this matters. We started calling our database April 20th when we saw that market changing, um, when it went from 4,000 to 9,000 houses. We started calling through our entire database of clients saying, if you're going to get on the market, you better go right now. Like April 15th is about when we started calling. Well, I have clients now that are putting their homes on the market that are getting 10% less than they would have if they had listed by May 1st, June 1st. And they're going, but you called me and told me I should sell. And we said, yes, we told you you needed to be on the market by June 1st if you wanted to be at the peak of the market. And truth be told, it was right. It was so yeah. spot on. Super smart. And, and now we can still sell and we're still selling for top dollar, but the strategies that we've had to change in the last 30 yeah, days different. are drastically different than what most of our competition is doing. Well, and you, that is a CEO, my friend. That is a really, really good CEO. That is exactly what we're trying to convey in this episode, right? As a CEO, you know, we believe these are the numbers you need to hit. So let's move yeah. into number four, Seychelle, which is numbers for your employees and customers, right? I so love So there's a yeah. couple um, a couple ones. Net promoter score is, but both you and I agree, is a really important number. So do you want to kind of sh walk everybody through what a net yeah. promoter score is? Um, net promoter score isn't talked about why that much, but I think it is just awesome. And the best way I can describe this is, um, have you ever wondered like on a survey why the first question after you leave a store, or you have an experience with a company is how likely are you to recommend this business? Or on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend this business to a friend? And promoter score is just that. It's the likelihood that an individual is going to recommend their business to somebody else. And, you know, I think as CEOs, it's important for our overall reputation to understand that. But also, if you have a list of your highest potential net promoters, what an amazing way to know how to target to them differently than someone mm -hmm. that on a scale of one to 10 is a two. If someone is a nine to 10, I would treat them very differently. I mean, not in a loving way, right? But like, I'm going to treat them really differently in the perks yeah. I want to give them, the things I want to give them, the incentives than somebody that's a, a one or two. And so for us, like that's why we created our Raving Fans program is because that rewards people who are likely to, you know, Re recommend us, refer us, send us to other people. You know, yeah, I, I love this. I um I think that many, many businesses use this and it's it's a really great way to keep to get a running pulse, right? Yes. Get a running pulse of of your customers and your services when either that window pops up on the screen or that email comes in. Um, and, you know, the timing of all of that, I know, is sort of important. Do you have any insight on that? Like, you know, when is the best time to be asking for an MPS and, um, you know, the, the would you recommend this company or service type of a thing? Do you know anything about that? Like, is there anything, any wisdom you have for us? You know, I think for us, it's at, at the key moments of the highest, like, emotion, 
like the highest potential positive emotion. And so for like in, again, we're using real estate specific examples, but for like, if it was a buyer we were working with, you might want to ask them when they get under contract on their home, right before, right after they close on their home um, would be some good times because they're already thinking about you or thinking about the experience. And so, um, you know, the same with the seller, it might be right when they hit the market, it might be right when they get a contract and then right when they close. Um, or right before they close, if everything's going well, um, or if it's not, that's a reflection too. But those will give you some mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. performance indicators uh, for both your customer service, your negotiation, and also then your you know level of client satisfaction that you're getting during the process. How about you guys? Do you have any others you would put in well, there? Um, I mean, CSATs are so I, customer satisfaction scores um, are kind of like what. I get Net Promoter and CSATs a little bit mixed up because like a CSAT to me is like the Uber pop-up. Every time you use an Uber, right. it pops up and says how many stars, right? And yep. Net Promoter is would you would you um would you refer this client? So um to me, you know, what when I know I'm working on in my re- now, this is in my my personal real estate team. What I'm working on, in fact, I just met with my assistant about it, is how we can do quicker CSATs at the four or five key mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. of the you know, of the transaction and then with a net promoter at the end. And so, you know, I, I don't know that I have a lot of information on this other I have, than um, I actually I like have pop a flip up windows. That. Oh, yeah, you do? I have a flip yeah. on that, which is if someone okay. like, if, so if I say, how likely are you to refer this business? And, and let's just say, for example, you and I are like working together and you put a two on there, I might be inclined to ask you different questions then how satisfied are you with this? Because if if you're not happy with me, a net promoter score basically tells me what kind of a consumer satisfaction survey to give you. If mm-hmm. you're if you're at a you know five stars or ten out of ten, I'm probably going to want to target you then into raving fans. I'm going to want to put you into like all these other things to talk to you about. Versus if you're at a two, there's no way I want to ask you if you want to continue to get marketing from me right now. What I've got to do is get a manager or a, you know, a, a leader to call you to see what's going on. If there's an issue we have to fix or, um, you know, like you're probably problem solving and trying to get questions answered to improve that score versus just a, how satisfied are you or not? Like, I don't want to ask the net promoter at the end. I think you want to ask that at the beginning. Well, I, I know, clearly, I, I just need to learn this more. And it might be my, it might be my next like rabbit hole go down. Cause we've, we just talked about net promoter, CSATs, customer satisfaction. What about nice. employee satisfaction? This is one. Okay. So I'm going to be that? full disclosure. Like we've been very micro on this on like one-to-one conversations and reviews. I, mm-hmm. what I would love to see us implementing is actually a quarterly 360 review. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a, how, how are we doing as a company? That sounds how are frequent. we doing as leaders? Do you think so? I mean, I think, I don't know. I don't know. Is that nor- twice like, a year? What, what would you say? I supposed to be. I don't know what the norm is supposed to be, but quarterly, just like my blink is like, that's a lot, but maybe. I don't know. Maybe it should be at least once a year. We're doing, like I'm doing, okay, so here's an example. We do the 12-week year as our, um, like the way we do our goal setting and our accountability is the 12-week year. So on the 13th week of every 12-week year, like role or session, you do a review on how you did the quarter before, how everything went. So my thought was, is we could incorporate a small 360 review into that 
that then allows us to, if we're tweaking anything for the next 12 weeks, we can catch things quicker. I don't know. Maybe it's too mm-hmm. much. You, if you're listening, you guys tell us what you do on this. I would love to know. But I do think knowing yeah, for if sure. your employees are happy or not is very important. <laughs> one thing, one, the one thing <laughs> I would say that that I do, um, and I haven't done it in a while. This is reminding me I need to do it. But sending out what I do, what I do try to do quarterly is send out um, just a quick survey. And it's, you know, what are we doing well? What are we doing? not, you know, not well, what should we keep doing? What should we stop doing? What should we start doing? And it's very simple, very clean. It's very scary to send that out. Uh, mm. I got to tell you, uh, it is, you just need to be prepared. Um, when I do it, I do it. Um, I use survey monkey so that it's, you know, it's anonymous mm-hmm. so that they feel comfortable doing it. You know, sending, sending back with their email, isn't probably going to give me the results I want. Yep. And I think it's scary to send those out. I, 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 anyone who doesn't think it's scary, like kudos to you, but I, you know, I always get a little nervous. Like, mm-hmm. am I going to hear things I don't want to hear yeah. on there? But, um, it's really unsophisticated, but you know, it's better than nothing. Yeah. It's been good. I haven't done it in a while, though. I probably should do that. I know. Well, I'm taking notes in here for us (laughs) as we record, guys. By the way, one of the things we love doing these episodes for you all is that we actually get to learn and grow and also remember the things we have to be adding in our business, too. So selfishly, this has been a fun one. Because I have something we're tweaking really just off this episode. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of it's yeah, kind of a, sure. a meaty one. It's not like a real light and fluffy one. <laughs> no, no, but it's good. True. I think I think if we want to recap today, you know, let's recap it with we talked about your balance sheet, right? Making sure you know your cash flow, your revenue, your expenses, and your profit. We talked about your ROI right? Making sure you are holding your investments accountable to getting a return on them. We talked about your economics. What are you looking at both in your industry and in the macroeconomic world to understand how that impacts your business and how to see the future? If you could have a crystal ball, that's as close as you can get. And then the last one is, you know, are you tracking numbers for your employees and your customer satisfaction to make sure that you are rewarding and growing and implementing the things that are going to help take your business moving forward? So if if we are CEOs, that's what we're looking at, guys. Let us know, too. EmpireBuildingPodcast at gmail.com is our email. So we'd love to hear um, what you use to track your numbers, if you're implementing anything that we're teaching on here. And we love to interact with our listeners. So please always um, uh, you know, feel free to email us there. And you can also suggest topics that you want to hear us talk about. Absolutely. Have a great day, everybody. We appreciate you. And we hope you go use these numbers to be a kick-ass CEO. That's right. Bye, guys.